Hey everyone, it's Simon here. Welcome to our podcast for this week. On behalf of Maria and I and our whole fam and the Everyone Church fam, we would love to welcome you, especially if you're new or visiting. Make sure you find our website, everyonechurch.com.au. Find us on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and find out more about our church. Uh, we are a new church plant in the MacArthur region, and we're enjoying the journey together. We're meeting weekly in person, and every time we meet weekly in person, I record a special podcast version of the message. So that's where we are today. And we've been talking about the principle of little by little and how we're all on a little by little journey toward where God is calling us. And if you missed our kind of core message on this, I encourage you to check out the first week of February on our podcast or check out our March monthly online service. It's the same teaching there. Um, But it's taken from Exodus 23, verse 29 to 30, where God says to the Israelites, whom he's, he's promised the promised land to them, right? And he says to them, I'm not going to give you the promised land all at once. I'm going to give it to you a little at a time as your population increases. Okay, so the, in here we find like a really great nugget of wisdom and a principle of God, I believe, that, you know, a lot of things happen in a moment. You know, God promised the promised land in a moment, but he delivered on it little by little. And I believe this is a real in-season word for us as a church, and I hope it encourages you individually. I know it's encouraged me. We've got a lot of good feedback from people across our church that have been really encouraged by this thought that, you know, many things happen in a moment in the kingdom, but also lots of things happen little by little. Like, look at our Christian life journey. In a moment, your sins are forgiven. In a moment, you're born again. In a moment, the Holy Spirit takes residence in your heart. But there are lots of things that happen little by little. Like, little by little, I learn the ways of Jesus. Little by little, I continue to repent. Little by little, I learn to listen to the Holy Spirit. I learn to submit my life to God and godly leadership. Little by little, prayer by prayer, uh, you know, understanding by understanding, and little by little, God gave the promised land to his people. The promise was in a moment, but the delivery of that promise was little by little. And we're all on a little by little journey. And last week, we talked about our little by little journey in the way of love from Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 to 2, where Paul says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So we see in these verses that Christ-like love is selfless, and it's God-honoring. And that is what our love should look like. Not like the world's version of love that is self-focused and all about my gratification and and fulfilling my needs or whatever, but Christ-like love, it's selfless. Okay, it's 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 God honoring. It's about being obedient to God. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. That's what he says. So we want to continue on our journey little by little in the way of love. Right. And I want to build off that foundation this week and really kind of round it out and talk about our little by little journey in the way of unity. Unity. You know, unity is so important in the body of Christ, in in our relationships, in our marriage even. Uh, You know, the enemy would love us to be divided. 
because we are so much stronger together, really. Like, if we want to bring Jesus to everyone, everywhere, if we want to fulfill the Great Commission of going into all the world and making disciples of all nations, we need to do it together. It's a group effort. And what truly binds us together is love. You know, unity of opinion only lasts as long as the opinion does. Unity of methodology only lasts until the methods change, right? Unity of cause even only lasts as long as the cause is at the forefront or or the cause is not completed. But if we want consistent and lasting unity, it has to be founded on something greater. And I believe that's love. And the Bible describes love as a binder of people. It binds us together. Love outworked brings people together. I mean, love outworked brings us in unity with God. Like God's love outworked through the cross, through his grace, brings us into unity with him, right? So it's only natural that Christ-like love should bring us in unity with one another. And conversely, all forms of disunity and slandering and division and all that kind of stuff are not outworkings of love. They're often outworkings of my selfishness and and things like that. So love is a binder. But it's funny because most of us would prefer to see love as a buffer, not a binder. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, a buffer is a barrier between incompatible or antagonistic people or things. And and it kind of just sits there and stops us from bugging each other, right? But this is why unity is a real test of our love because unity requires me to adjust. It, 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 unity requires me to be humble, to be transformed, right? And love as a buffer is a kind of a bit of a cop-out sometimes. You know, it's like, you don't change and I don't change, but we just love each other anyway. Or, or we just love despite our differences. And I believe this is a, a lower expression of love than what we are called to in the body of Christ. Okay, there are times where we have to use love as a buffer between us and non-Christians or us and our enemies even. But in the church, we're called to be bound together, to be together in unity. Like look at um, God's love, right? God's love doesn't just like love me anyway. Like if God loved you any way, he wouldn't empower you to change. The first thing God does to you when you surrender your life to him in Jesus' name is make you a new person, right? And God doesn't just love you as you are. No, it's much deeper than that. God loves you so much, he changes who you are. He makes you like him. God's love changes me. And this is why love is the foundation of unity in the church. Because as God changes me and God changes you, we actually start to have something real in common. And that our unity is, is not just built upon personality or taste or even sinfulness or, or imperfection or our shared opinion. No, it's built on love. It's built on love. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 to 14 says, Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves. Now, let's just pause there for a second. Notice that didn't say, since God chose you to be the sinful people he loves. No, no. God chose us to be his holy people he loves. All right, let's continue. It says, you must clothe yourself with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowances for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Verse 14, above all, clothe yourself with love, which binds us together in perfect harmony. Love is a binder. It brings us together 
in harmony. You know, I'm a musician and in music, harmony works best when everyone is in the same key. The harmonies align under the tonic, under the root note, unless you're being weird and jazzy and all this kind of stuff. But that's, that's, that's a side note. Look, the point is this. Our foundational note, our key, our tonic is love, Christ's love. It says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 10 to 12, this is real love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us and his love is brought to full expression in us. So in some ways, John is saying, hey, we see God amongst us in our love expressed in unison in unity. We are all on a little by little journey in love toward unity. Do you want to see what God looks like? Well, watch his people really love each other. All right, now that we're ready, that's all to set up our key verse in Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 to 4. Let's read this together. It's the Apostle Paul writing. He says this, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? any comfort from his love, any fellowship together in the Spirit, are your hearts tender and compassionate? Verse 2, Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Verse 3, Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others So, great passage of Scripture. Paul is encouraging the Philippian church to be united. He says, be united in mind and purpose, which is a really uh, interesting part of that verse. And let let me just nerd out for a minute, because this is translated from Greek. The original letter was in Greek. And Paul uses this word here, mind and purpose, being united in mind and purpose, And it's the only time in the New Testament that this word is used, this Greek word. And that word is, I'm going to try and say it right here, sum zumkos, okay? S-Y-M-P-S-Y-C-H-O-S. And it's a Greek word that's actually two words put together. Sum, which means united. It's where we get the word like sync, like synchronize. It's united together. And then sukos, which is our soul, our inner life, our affections, or what they call the seat of of my feelings, which is such a powerful word picture. Picture this with me. Imagine if in your soul, in your inner feelings and affections, there's a seat, like a driver's seat. And whatever is in that seat is what drives my feelings and affections. It's my soul seat. And for many of us, our affections are driven by us, or, or, or lust, or food, or sin. And Paul is saying here that in order for us to be united, we should all have the same driver in the seat of our feelings and affections. Like, who takes the throne of your inner affections? And this is a deeply personal question, because only you really, really know and who's in that seat. Who's sitting in your soul seat? And maybe for some of you, your life is so chaotic and ungrounded that 
the seat of your soul, it's like musical chairs. It's worry, self-doubt, what others think, what your parents think. Maybe a father figure is sitting in that seat and it's been and it's been dictating your soul, dictating your affections, dictating how you feel. And here's the thing. O- only you know what drives your affection. Only you know what satisfies your soul. Only you know who is sitting in your soul seat. But what drives your affection ultimately drives your love. And what drives your love ultimately drives your ability to be in unity with others. Like if you have a long track record of broken relationships or an inability to unite with the body of Christ in the community, ask yourself the hard questions. Like what is really or who is really sitting in my soul seat, in the seat of my feelings? What am I really looking for? And if we, in honesty and humility, put Christ in this seat, then we can truly be united. You know, like in all of our relationships, marriage even, like this is why Christ needs to be at the center of our relationships, right? You know, if if what is sitting in the soul seat of your marriage is kids or, or attraction even, or romance, uh, these things change. They shift, right? Christ does not change. Who is sitting in your soul seat. You know, we're all on this little by little journey in love toward unity. And we must allow our union with Christ to be outworked into a union with each other. And every other form of unity is momentary. Unity of season only lasts as long as the season does. Unity of goal only lasts until the goal is met. And to have the same mind and purpose, like Paul is saying, to have the same love, that is what lasts. And Paul then goes to, to, to describe what that looks like in verse 3 and 4. He says, don't be selfish, don't try to impress others, be humble, thinking of others better than yourself. Look, and all of that stuff is just fruit of a transformed life. Like, let's not be careful to just not focus on the fruit and not get to the root, right? Oh, I just don't want to be selfish. Don't be selfish. Don't be selfish. Don't be selfish. But what the real answer to being selfish is, is dying to myself and living for Christ, truly living for him, truly putting him in the driver's seat. Come on. Little by little, we're on a journey here toward unity. And that starts with getting my house in order, with putting the right person in my soul seat. And we can yell vision statements and core values and we can chant and sing together. But if we all have different drivers in the seat of our soul, we will never experience God-given unity, which is what we really want. Charles Cranford, who was a uh, British theologian and former World War II chaplain, which is pretty cool. And uh, he he has a bunch of commentaries and and, in one of them, he, he talks about unity. He says this, such unity will only come when Christians are humble and bold enough to lay hold of the unity already given in Christ and take it more seriously than their own self-importance and not to make those deep differences of doctrine an excuse for letting go of one another or staying apart, but rather an incentive for more earnest seeking and fellowship together to hear and obey the voice of Christ. Like imagine living in such a love-filled way a Christ-like love way where Christ is the ruler of my life and, and the Lord of my soul, sitting in the seat of my feelings that I can't help but love others. Imagine being a person that lives in, a, in such a way to please God more than man, that, that we see our differences as callings to be like better at serving one another. 
We look at our differences right now and we go, oh, that's my reason to back away. No, no, no. What if we saw our differences? What if we were so transformed that we saw our differences as, in, as callings to serve one another better? Now, that's a radically different way to live, right? In unity. Imagine living in such a way where my affections are so steered by Christ and His Holy Spirit that it hurts me not to love others. Imagine being a part of a community of people in the church who are more concerned about what God thinks of them um, rather than what people think, that we pursue unity in the church with humility and selflessness. And this is the journey that we're on. We're all on a little-by-little journey toward unity in love. Amen. So as I conclude, let me ask you this question. Who takes the throne of your inner affections? Have you allowed God's love to change you? Who's sitting in your soul seat today? You know, he, he does. He finds you as you are, and he loves you enough to not leave you that way. Allow him to transform you. Allow him, even right now in this moment, take some time to say, Lord, the, the seat of my feelings, the seat of my soul, it belongs to you. Drive my life, Lord. Drive my feelings. Drive my affections. That is all yours. Amen. Let me pray for you. Lord, I thank you for every person that's listening to this podcast. Lord, we just surrender the seed of our soul to you afresh. And I pray that we would experience such a great unity in our church, a unity with fellow believers, that it's just like something that just you can't manufacture, that it would be something so holy, so God-breathed, that it would, it would just be so special and it would honor you. And it would help us be more effective as we unite together and pursue your kingdom come in the earth in jesus name amen amen well i hope the word encouraged you today i hope you have an amazing week and i hope you can join us next week for church in person have a great great week